Our scripture lessons this morning come from the prophet Zechariah and the Gospel of Matthew. As we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come among us to inspire our listening and our speaking. Come among us to strengthen us as we seek to hear your voice today. Come among us so that we may draw closer to you and to one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first lesson comes from Zechariah, the eighth chapter, beginning at the fourth verse. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand, because of their great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, even though it seems impossible to the remnant of this people in these days, should it also seem impossible to me, says the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will save my people from the east country and the west country, and I will bring them to live in Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. For before those days, there were no wages for people or for animals, nor was there any safety from the foe for those who went out and came in. But now there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall yield its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the skies shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And from the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 18 through 20. Truly I tell you, said Jesus, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth, on anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today I want to talk to you about what happens when we feel overwhelmed by a great task or work that lies ahead of us or just as much by a great vision we hold, or a hope. Many of us are trying diligently to stay on top of things these days, 
to be aware of all that is happening in the world, and at the same time to stay safe in our daily life and work. And also in us is a great hope and a great vision, and we want to be a part of the healing of the world. We may also have a few issues that we are dealing with in our own lives. And that's all a recipe for overload. This morning, the scripture lessons speak to the people in a time of overload. And perhaps they can provide a way for us to deal with our own resistance or even paralysis when it all feels too much. How do we get a second wind? How do we keep our hearts from closing down on us? Is there a word from the Lord for us today? I believe there is. During the time of the prophet Zechariah, the people of Israel were returning to Jerusalem from years of exile in Babylon. You and I, we have been in this pandemic shut in our homes for about a year and a half. They had been in exile shut out of their homes for 70 years. And during those 70, they struggled to keep alive the hope that they had for the day when they would return to their homes and rebuild their lives. And now, here they are. But you and I know rebuilding your life is never as easy as you think it's going to be. When we meet up with the Israelites in the time of Zechariah, they've been home for a while. The excitement has worn off and reality has set in. By this point in the story, they had already faced the fact that other people had moved into their houses while they were gone, and they were essentially immigrants in their own hometown. They had started to rebuild the temple. Zechariah says they had poured the foundation. But that initial burst of energy that comes in the beginning of a project had gone. The enormity of the task had set in. Nothing is coming together the way they had imagined it. Home didn't really feel like home, and that temple was way too big. What were they thinking? And so they stopped. They were out of energy, out of inspiration, out of motivation, and a lot of nothing had been happening for quite some time. There's a beloved story in our family that pops up anytime someone is struggling with keeping going in a big, long project, and it's about a first-grade quilt. When Meg, our youngest, was in first grade, her friend Leah came over to our house once a week after school, and I got the bright idea that we would make quilts together over the year. 
It was a grand vision. We geared up and shopped for all the materials, picked our colors and our fabrics, and we cut the pieces, and I taught them how to stitch, and we even started getting all the pieces together, and that took the whole year. And then first grade ended, and Leah didn't need to come over once a week anymore. And one day in second grade, I picked up Meg from being at a play date at Leah's house, and in the car ride headed home, Meg said from the back seat, Leah's quilt is all done. I said, what? She said, Leah's quilt is all done. They've finished it. And at that point, I thought to myself, oh my God, the quilt. Where is that quilt? I may have even mumbled, that damn quilt. I said, oh really? That's great. We'll have to get back to work on yours. After which there was a long silence and with a vocabulary that only God could have given to a second grader, Meg said, they're a completion family. <laughs> what? And then she said very clearly, they're a completion family. We can laugh about it now, but it did sting a little bit at the time because it was true. And now whenever we come across people who seem to be accomplishing way more than seems possible, you know those people who seem to get all their quilts done, we mutter under our breath, they must be a completion family. You and I have a lot bigger and more important things to work on in our community and in our world than a quilt. And the Israelites did too. But the feeling is the same. These long, hard projects, rebuilding a broken society, repairing old hurts, restoring civility, piecing and stitching together all this brokenness, can get the best of us. And it's easy to lose steam or courage, and the corner of the couch begins to look so inviting. Should we just binge watch a little Ted Lasso and forget about it? The scripture tells us that it was just at this time that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And I have always considered these words in Zechariah to be some of the most grace-filled words in Scripture. Like the gentlest, most, compassion, most compassionate, all-around best math teacher you ever had, God takes this huge task of rebuilding a temple and a whole society, and says to Zechariah, let's break it down. You're jumping ahead, and it's paralyzing you. Maybe your task isn't as grand as you really think it is. Maybe we could picture it this way. 
And then God gives to Zechariah a whole string of images. I'll just highlight three here. Three clear and concrete images of the promise and the work that lies ahead. The first is a picture of a neighborhood. Old people will be able to sit on their front step with a staff in hand to help them. And children, both boys and girls, will be playing in the streets. The second is a picture of work. Before, there weren't any wages for work, for people, or for animals. What you are building, God says, what I promise you, is a society in which people have wages for their work. Start there. And third, God gives the picture of safety. Previously, people could not come or go from the city because of foes all around. What I seek for you, God says, is a city that is safe. Neighborhood streets with children at play and elders at rest. Wages for one's work and safety to come and go. What a beautiful picture of a just society, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord said to Zechariah, maybe just focus here. And if it seems impossible to you, I promise you, it's not impossible to me. I will meet you there. I'll be with you. Please keep going. The writer Anne Lamont tells a well-known story about her brother and writing. I know you know this story, but I can't help telling it again here. She writes, My older brother was in fourth grade. He had a term paper on birds due the next day, and he hadn't started. So my dad sat down with him with an Audubon book, paper, and pencils, and he said to my brother, just take it bird by bird, buddy. Just read about pelicans, and then write about pelicans in your own voice. And then, find out about chickadees and tell us about them in your own voice. And then geese. God said to the Israelites who were trying to rebuild a very broken society, just take it bird by bird. If you have ever stepped foot into an AA meeting, or any 12-step program, you know the power of taking things one step at a time. And you know how hard it is. One day at a time, one step at a time. Here is a direct quote from resources in Alcoholics Anonymous. Many, if not most alcoholics, feel completely powerless to their addiction and don't know where to begin the process of recovery. The 12 steps of AA break down this otherwise overwhelming feat 
into manageable, actionable measures that can help an individual move forward. Each meeting creates a space of affirmation and inspiration and hope for one small step on a very long journey. And most important, creates a space of companionship. Nobody ever tries to do something so big alone. Everyone has a sponsor. Remember what God said? If it seems impossible to you someday, I promise you it's not impossible to me. I am with you. Just the briefest word about the gospel lesson before I close, because it makes the same point. You know Jesus was always trying to get out us to live out love and mercy in life-size ways and not to get ahead of ourselves. Well, this famous portion of Matthew is a perfect example, but it's often misinterpreted and misunderstood. When Jesus said, wherever two or maybe three are gathered, I am there with them, he wasn't talking about a poorly attended church service or small group ministry. He was talking about forgiveness. Jesus was teaching, this comes right in the center of a very important teaching of Jesus and a very difficult teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. And he's teaching it to a completely overwhelmed group of people in a deeply conflicted society. Sound familiar? And Jesus says, start small. Anything you loosen, any little thing you loosen, anything you can loosen in your life will be loosed in heaven. And when Jesus said, anytime, anytime you can bring two, maybe three, people together that weren't together before in my name, I'll meet you there. I'm with you. That's just what God said to the Israelites in Zechariah. Any small thing you can do to build or heal in your neighborhood, maybe just at your own dinner table, I am with you. I will meet you there. The wisest advice I've heard when it comes to choosing a church is to find a community that is challenging you to take your next step in your faith. I have certainly experienced that in my life, in this congregation, and it's my prayer for us that we will hold on to God's great visions and great purposes and great hopes and promises, but we will not be paralyzed by them. That we will be a place that helps and challenges one another to take the next step, one day, one step. And no one ever tries to do it alone. We sponsor one another. 
And when it seems impossible to one of us, it might not seem impossible to the other. What is the next step that you need to take in your faith right now? Not the next 10, not the next 20, not the whole picture, just the next one step. And how can we help? In 2015, Pope Francis closed his Christmas homily with a prayer that is on the back of your bulletin. And it was a prayer that came from 1979, and it was given at a remembrance service for priests who had died with a a special uh, remembrance for Bishop Oscar Romero. And the full prayer is on the back, but I'd just like to close with a few lines. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise of God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. Amen.